This is Glasgow Crime Stories. We dive into crime of the city's past in short episodes you can listen to anytime, anywhere. In this episode, we bring you the tale of how a community helped detangle a disturbing tale of brutality and cruelty led by the notorious Budman. The High Court in Dunfermline had never seen such scenes. Armed police officers in body armour and protective clothing patrolled outside. Members of the public, lawyers and court staff were searched going inside. The four men in the dock were members of a notoriously violent crime gang based in Postle Park in the northwest of Glasgow, led by Robert O'Hara, known simply as the Budman. In 2004, there had been a battle between rival suppliers for control of the lucrative heroin trade in the area, which had resulted in the murder of a popular local man, Paul McDowell. At that time, O'Hara was only 27 years old, but was already said to be a rising star in the city's underworld. The Budman was a family nickname handed down through the generations. By the age of 19, he was already carving out a reputation for himself in a part of Glasgow where only the strong survive. Though improvements had been made in social conditions over the years, Postle Park was still an area of high deprivation where drugs and violence were all too prevalent. O'Hara had started off as a housebreaker and car thief before turning to the drugs trade, laundering the proceeds through two busy car washes that he owned in Mary Hill and Springburn. In 1997, O'Hara had been given six years for attempted murder after shooting a gangland rival in the arm. At the time, trial judge Lord Abernethy said, You were convicted of a very serious charge, and the sentence for a charge of this type must be a substantial period of custody. During this spell in prison, O'Hara, like many criminals, would keep in touch with his associates to protect his interests and to make sure no one was trying to take over his patch. Shortly after his release, he was the target of a drive-by shooting. Multiple shots were repeatedly fired at him. It was said that O'Hara had taken to wearing a bulletproof vest, but a bulletproof vest can only protect so much of the body. He staggered into a pub in Saracen Street, bleeding heavily from various wounds, and an ambulance was called. O'Hara was then taken to the nearby Glasgow Royal Infirmary, where he was put on the critical list. But he survived, which was bad news for his rivals. That meant he had a point to prove to those who had previously plotted against him. Prior to his release, there had been an outbreak of violence involving some major players in the Glasgow crime scene. In May 2000, one of the city's best-known underworld figures, Frank McPhee, then 51, was shot dead outside his home in Guthrie Street, Mary Hill, Glasgow, by a sniper. The killer opened fire on McPhee from a nearby tower block before disappearing into the night. He was one of the city's biggest underworld figures, with an involvement in serious and organised crime dating back to the 1970s. McPhee had twice stood trial for murder and had been cleared both times, but a cat only has so many lives. That same year in September, another major player in the criminal underworld, Tony McGovern, was shot dead outside his pub, the new Morvern in Springburn, as he got into his car. To this day, both murders remain unsolved, 
though the police have a fair idea who was responsible. In both cases, there was a reluctance of people to come forward with information, given the reputation of the two suspects. In the case of Tony McGovern, then 35, a murder incident caravan placed outside the pub to encourage witnesses did not attract a single visitor. One thing is certain. Both deaths left the door open for other operators to fill the vacuum, men like Robert O'Hara. Though not a suspect in either case, he had been a close associate of McGovern. While all this was going on, O'Hara was climbing the criminal ladder and within three years of his release was a major player in Glasgow. By 2004, he was said to live a life of luxury, with a £400,000 penthouse flat and a £65,000 Audi sports car. He was also said to run a network of dealers, making profits of £500,000 a year and terrorising a whole area of the city of Glasgow while clearly reaping substantial cash rewards. In July that year, a popular local man, Paul McDowell, 25, was attacked in broad daylight near a bar in Bardowie Street, Postle Park. He was allegedly related to one of O'Hara's rival drug dealers and was attacked for no other reason. As one police officer observed at the time, he was an innocent victim, a pawn caught in a power struggle between two more powerful men. He was attacked around 9pm while he was walking home from a local pub and bludgeoned with baseball bats and knives. Paul McDowell suffered multiple injuries, including three stab wounds that resulted in his death. Ironically, the man who carried out the stabbing almost died himself after he was chased by local men and stabbed with the same knife used to kill McDowell, but he survived the attack. At the beginning, police struggled to get any information from local people because O'Hara was so feared. They knew who had ordered the hit and who had carried it out but proving that was another matter altogether. CCTV would later show O'Hara and key associate Robert Murray near the scene of the crime shortly after the murder, but given that they lived in the area, that was not a surprise. The police needed more and worked hard to break down the wall of silence that normally envelops such crimes. However, local residents also felt sorry for the victim, who was well-liked in Postle Park, and not seen as being involved in any serious crime. Slowly, but surely, information began to filter in. O'Hara believed his reputation would prevent witnesses from coming forward, but the community's loathing for the gang proved him wrong, although one witness was so fearful for his life that he left the country, while two more were given special protection. Mackay was the first of the four to be arrested. However, the prime suspect, O'Hara, had flown off to Mexico for a holiday with his right-hand man, Robert Murray, and two others. When he returned in Glasgow 2004, he was arrested at Glasgow Airport. The holiday had cost the Birdman £5,840 and had been paid for in cash. More than £2,500 was found in his luggage. O'Hara, who denied the murder, is said to have asked a detective at the police station where he was taken later to be interviewed, what if I ordered someone to do it? The Birdman, by his actions, had escalated the stakes in the drugs war and the police had to respond in kind, which they did.
Armed with search warrants, they raided a series of addresses used by the gang as safe houses. They found a Mac M11 submachine gun, a sawn-off shotgun, a revolver and a cache of ammunition, including ammunition used in raids on flats in Niven Street, Mary Hill. The submachine gun was the first ever found in Scotland and could rattle out 600 bullets a minute. They also found heroin at the property and at a safe house in Cumbernauld. During the subsequent trial, the prosecution would use the gun find, including the machine gun, to show that the four accused had not only murdered the man, but planned further violence. To avoid the intimidation of prosecution witnesses, the trial, taking place in the spring of 2005, was moved to Dunfermline rather than Glasgow. The witnesses were also given police protection going to and from the court. The Crown claimed the fatal attack had all the hallmarks of a planned or directed assault and said that one of the assailants was in phone contact with O'Hara shortly after the murder. Former associates testified that the gang was involved in drug dealing, laundering money, guns and violence. They said O'Hara received much of the profits from the drugs business and was seen handling large sums of cash. Despite the fears of violence and intimidation, the trial went smoothly, though it was claimed that one witness had been offered a bribe to get her brother to change his statement. During the six weeks of evidence, a disturbing tale of brutality and cruelty emerged. Mackay owed O'Hara £2,000, and the murder was his way of clearing the debt. Despite the trial's length, the jury did not take long to deliver its verdict. O'Hara, Robert Murray and Colin Mackay were found guilty of murdering Paul McDowell in the previous July. A fourth man, who could not be named for legal reasons and who had looked after the guns for the gang, was found guilty of conspiracy to murder. Armed police were also on duty when the four men appeared at the High Court in Edinburgh for sentence in May 2005. Trial Judge Lord Dawson said they had been involved in an evil criminal conspiracy to murder a young man. O'Hara, Murray and Mackay were jailed for life and told that they would have to serve at least 20, 12 and 14 years respectively before being considered for parole. The fourth man, then 30, was jailed for 10 years. Lord Dawson told O'Hara, who had ordered the murder, that he was a despicable criminal. He added, There is little I can say to reflect the revulsion every decent citizen must feel about you. You literally terrorised a whole area of the city of Glasgow and reaped substantial rewards. You are a despicable criminal, one of the worst I've had the misfortune to come across. Lord Dawson said Murray was the gang leader's right-hand man who was at his shoulder to do his bidding. He reserved some of his strongest criticism for Mackay, adding, Clearly, you are one of O'Hara's lackeys. Whatever he wants you to do, you will do. You kept his drugs for him. You kept his guns for him. When he asked you to, you also killed for him, as casually as if he asked you to get him a pint of milk. You are no better than a hired assassin. The judge told the fourth man he had been prepared to get himself involved with a number of illegal firearms and, if the opportunity arose, to shoot someone with them. Murray was also found guilty of attempting to murder another man, 
James Elder, who was battered and slashed in an attack in Glasgow a few weeks before the murder of Paul McDowell. Lord Dawson told him it was only by the grace of God he wasn't facing another murder charge. Friends and relatives of the gang applauded in a show of defiance as the men were led to the cells to begin the sentences. At the end of the case, Detective Chief Inspector Michael Orr of Strathclyde Police said evidence from the local community was crucial in securing the four guilty verdicts. He added, Communities can be assured that if they come to us with information, they will receive our full support, and we will give them as much assistance as possible for as long as they need it. Hundreds of thousands of potential crimes connected to drug dealing and the need for drugs will now not happen because of the success of this prosecution. The impact on the local community of taking violent drug dealers off the street is massive. What we are finding in recent cases is that members of the public are coming forward and speaking about these people. In a later interview in 2017, one of the officers involved in the investigation, Detective Inspector David Moran, later said of O'Hara, there were no eyewitnesses to the murder and he had people terrified to within an inch of their lives not to speak up. Eventually, we managed to get statements from people involved in serious criminality who ordinarily would never have done so. We also recovered firearms. It was the most difficult case I worked on, but also the one that gave us the most satisfaction. In 2009, O'Hara failed to overturn his murder conviction. Lawyers claimed in the Court of Criminal Appeal in Edinburgh that the trial judge misdirected the jury and prosecutors had held back crucial information from them, but the appeal judges rejected the allegations and upheld his conviction. O'Hara then dropped a plan to appeal the length of his sentence. He had previously claimed that the 20-year tariff was too severe. However, he was advised by his legal team that the courts could increase as well as reduce the term. In 2010, the Crown Office then made a bid to seize the profits of O'Hara's heroin business. The drugs baron had raked in an estimated £2 million from his network of drug dealers in the north of the city. He agreed to hand over more than £131,250 of crime profits, with a month allowed for payment. Most of that figure was cash previously seized by police. Little has been heard of O'Hara since his incarceration 18 years ago. However, he has been let out of jail twice to bury relatives. In 2009, he was photographed carrying his mother's coffin at a funeral while handcuffed to a prison guard. He had been let out of jail for a few hours to bury his mum, Marie, who died a penniless drug addict. O'Hara was attached to a reliance guard by a closet chain specially designed for funerals and hospital visits for dangerous criminals. He was sneaked out of a white van to help carry Marie's coffin into the packed funeral mass after other mourners went inside. O'Hara was given a standing ovation as he carried the coffin out of St. Teresa's R.C. Church in Possel, Glasgow. One person in the congregation said, "'Considering it was a funeral for Marie,' It seemed strange that all the attention seemed to be in her son. All eyes were on him, even when Marie's body was being loaded into the funeral car. Marie was just 52 when she died of a suspected heroin overdose.
Eight Reliance workers watched over her funeral, and at least three police vehicles were at the church for fear of reprisals for O'Hara's crimes. He was also allowed out of prison a few months later to attend the funeral of his granddad, Joe Brown. In 2018, it was reported in one newspaper that two close members of O'Hara's family were living in a million-pound luxury-rented flat in the Charing Cross area of Glasgow, although it was not clear how they could afford such a place. Last year, two men, said to be associates of O'Hara, were jailed for nine years for a machete attack in a third man in Glasgow's Maryhill Road on August the 8th, 2019. O'Hara's gang, which had terrorised a large part of Glasgow, had been sentenced to a total of 56 years behind bars. Three of his accused will have completed their terms by now, though little is known of their whereabouts. Meanwhile, O'Hara remains one of Scotland's most notorious gangland figures, despite being in prison for almost two decades. It is not known when he will be released, though he is due for parole soon, having served almost 18 years behind bars. However, as in all cases, there is no guarantee of an early release for O'Hara. This podcast was brought to you by the Glasgow Times. With a digital subscription, you can access our exclusive, insightful and trustworthy local news from just £2 for two months. We are also currently offering 20% off our annual rate with the code GLASGOPOD22. This offers for new subscribers only and is only available with the promotional code given in this podcast. Subscriptions will renew at the standard rates unless cancelled. 